Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus is in the business of rescuing his sons and daughters, his loved ones, his family. So if you find yourself going through a difficult time, can I encourage you with this little bitty promise that he knows how to show up and rescue you. And it may not be when you want him to, and the days might grow darker, but he knows how to rescue you. And if you think that he doesn't want to, then can I encourage you to spend a little bit more time at his feet? Have you ever had somebody rescue you before? It doesn't have to be a heroic, life-saving gesture in order to be meaningful. Even something as simple as helping you carry a heavy load of groceries can be super helpful. When you're rescued, you don't have to struggle anymore. As we look at the book of Daniel today, Pastor James shows us that Jesus is the perfect rescuer. He knows exactly when to step in and pluck us out of the fire. He loves you more than you can ever fathom, and he sees you in the midst of your struggle. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 12 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Daniel chapter 12, if you could turn there, please, por favor, Daniel chapter 12, the last chapter of the book of Daniel. There's extra chapters in Daniel, supposedly. I don't put much weight into those, uh, but I always remember doing a study through the book of Daniel, and I think it was with Chuck Missler, I believe. But anyways, there's this idea of these other extra chapters in Daniel. We have Daniel chapter 12, and I'm good with that. Other ones talk about like maybe dragons and stuff. I don't know. So again, Daniel is already reminding me of like Lord of the Rings type stuff. I actually watched through that, that movie series again because I mentioned that to you guys. I haven't watched those movies in 20 years, I bet. I watched them. I'm like, these are amazing movies. So I highly encourage you to watch through those. J.R.R. Tolkien is an incredible writer, and that's a beautiful allegory of our victory in Christ. Okay. So And that kind of goes along with with chapter 12 here, that last um, Lord of the Rings thing, the last book there is the return of the king, right? The king's coming back. The king is coming back. He may have left the building, but he's coming back, right? And I'm not talking about Elvis. Um, Jesus is coming back, but there's things that have to happen before he comes back. As much as we want him to just show up, just go ahead and solve all our problems today, that'd be sweet. Things have to happen. Things have to happen. And the reality of end times things is this. It has to get worse before it gets better. And I can tell you this, it's going to get worse before it ever gets better. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But that's the reality of the world in which we live. We went through the book of Revelation and we saw that, just how that played out in the end times and and how just more hostile the world becomes you know, in the end times. And you would think like with all the stuff going on and my goodness, if you're, if you're going through the end times, like the tribulation time, all you would have to do is pick up the Bible and be like, this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And then turn to Jesus. But there's somewhat of a, a huge crowd, so to speak, that they just, their hatred towards him grows stronger and stronger. And, and it's hard to, it's hard for my brain to calculate that. Like, I don't know how to handle that. It's like, 
when the pressure's on, I'm like, of course, I'm, I'm redeemed. Um, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so naturally now, supernaturally, is I want to turn to him. It's just hard for me to fathom like people where it gets so bad that they just want to turn away from him even more. It's like, man, the depravity of man is something serious. It's an incredible thing. But we get a little snapshot of this whole end times thing. Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 are just go together. And uh, what we saw from chapter 11 was the angel, probably Gabriel, is there with Daniel and is bringing some clarification to these dreams and visions he's been having. And he's preparing him, so to speak, for, I mean, this is what's to come, right? Some of this stuff historically would be played out, but it's, it's... one of those prophecies and some of the stuff we're looking at, it's one of those things where it has been fulfilled within history, but it's also yet to be fulfilled, dual kind of prophecies. We know that there were different guys who showed up throughout history and just they've personified some of these things like Antiochus Epiphanes. He showed up and he desecrated the temple and he sacrificed pigs in there and he did all this stuff like what Daniel was speaking of. And so that's a partial fulfillment to it, but there was a greater fulfillment to come. And we're not there yet. That desolation, all that good stuff is going to be completely fulfilled with the Antichrist. But Gabriel's walking Daniel through this whole end time scenario. We, we also saw in Daniel chapter 11 that Jesus actually showed up briefly. I'm going to say it's Jesus. It looks just like the description of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1. So I think it's safe to say it's Jesus. You can look back in there and, and check that out if you want. But Jesus is there, and he's going to show back up in chapter 12 again. And here we have Daniel, 85 years old, has um, lived most of his life in Babylon, in captivity. And this will be the last kind of little message that he gets, as far as we know. And then, you know, when does he die and all that good stuff? I don't know. I'm not sure. I didn't even look into it doesn't matter that much to me. Here's what I do know. He did die um, because everybody dies, minus like, you know, Enoch who was taken. But he lived faithfully in a godless society. He lived faithfully in, in the heart of the world, the Babylonian empire. Faithfully devoted to Jesus. Now, it's hard to say devoted to Jesus at that point in time, but I think you get what I'm saying. Devoted to Jehovah. What we also know about Daniel was he was committed to the word of God. He would read the word of God. That's how he knew the time was coming to a close as far as the captivity goes. He was reading through the, the book or the scroll of Jeremiah. He prayed all the time. I mean, it, he, it was a part of his habit. What we see from Daniel was that he was constantly investing in the next life to come the next life to come. He didn't invest a whole lot in this brief vapor of existence. And we have to get this. We have to get this as Christians living in 2022. We spend too much time investing in this short vapor of existence. Your entirety is lived in eternity minus maybe 75, 80 years if you're blessed. That's like on the grand scale. I mean, my goodness, I remember Francis Chan doing this illustration. You probably have seen him do it on YouTube. But he takes this humongous rope and it's all over the stage. 
And on the one part of the rope, little bitty section is a, like a strip of tape. That's your life. The rest of the rope is eternity. Why do we invest so much into this little bitty space when we have eternity to live for? We're like, ah, we don't got to figure that out. That's Jesus's problem. No, that's your problem. <laughs> that's your problem. That's my problem today. What are we investing in? We have to be like Daniel. Daniel was, I mean, he was devoting himself to prayer. He was devoting himself to the word of God. He was devoting himself to serving God whenever, wherever. Witnessing the kings, godless kings. One of them gets saved. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I believe he is in heaven. I believe we will see Nebuchadnezzar. I believe that. I could be wrong, but I believe it because that chapter that Nebuchadnezzar wrote, that's his testimony. That was his story. But we see this from Daniel, from a, a young man taken from his home, taken from his, his land, and now forced to live in this place that's not his own. And he's forced to learn a language that that's not my native tongue. He's forced to eat these foods. That's not my native food. And the, the temptation to defile himself, it didn't stop in chapter one. It was present in his life every single day. Whether it be Nebuchadnezzar, the next king, Belteshazzar, and, or Belshazzar, I don't know. I can mix his name and Daniel's Babylonian name up all the time. Or Darius or whoever. The temptation to compromise was facing him every single day. Every single day. He wasn't a perfect man. He was not a perfect man. Because he's born, just like you, just like me, born a sinner. But man... God used this man in a tremendous way. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was just, he was just sold out. He was just sold out for the call that God had on his life. He recognized that. He understood. Kind of like the book of Esther. Uh, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, Daniel could say that, he could echo that same sentiment that Mordecai was saying to Esther, no, for such a time as this, that's why you're here right now. Daniel, you were taken to Babylon for this reason. And it seems as though a young man, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself, but also he purposed within his heart to stay devoted and committed to God. All the way to the end. And that's what we get because this is the end. And man, he... I mean, it doesn't end with like, and Daniel lived happily ever after. We don't get anything like that. You want to know why? Because the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about Jesus. And that's how every single one of our stories should end. Just like the book of Daniel. And James went off to live happily ever after. No, James just, James is in the presence of Jesus. And his time ended but the story and the mission continues on. It's a beautiful thing. That's what we'll see at the, the end of Daniel chapter 12 here. But let's go back into verse one, chapter 12. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, you know, wartime stuff. And like I said, it, you know what, just do me a favor and jump back into verse 40 of chapter 11, just context wise. It says, then at the time of the end, the king of the south, we think that's Egypt, Right. The king of the south will attack the king of the north. And, and there's a lot of things concerning, is this the battle of Armageddon? And is this like Russia? You guys know Russia's on the move? Russia's on the move right now? Isn't that interesting? Like Russia's, Russia's moving. That should like, 
you know, perk, you know, or, you know, spark that little thing inside of our brains, a little prophecy brains of like, wait, wait a minute, hold on. I think there's something about Gog and Magog and Russia being a part of that. Oh, yeah, they're a part of it. They're a part of it. They're making moves. And I'm not saying it's like, oh, it's here. I'm not saying that at all. But anytime wars and rumors of wars are mentioned and it's centered around that part of the world, you should pay attention. You should pay attention, Okay. So anyways, you got the king of the north, king of the south. They're coming together to attack. Also within this portion of scripture, we see that actually starting in verse 36, it starts, it begins talking about the antichrist, but there's kind of like a rebellion in the midst of a rebellion. People are somewhat, it seems as though they're getting fed up with the antichrist himself, but there's wars going on on this planet earth. And, and this is in the tribulation time period is what we believe is what this is speaking of here. So you got the king of the north coming with chariots, charioteers, a vast navy. He will invade various lands, sweep through them like a flood. Verse 41, he will enter the glorious land of Israel and many nations will fall. But Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. He will conquer many countries and even uh, Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver, treasures of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians will be his servants. So what we believe is from the north and there's a connection to the Antichrist coming from that northern kind of kingdom there that this is talking about a lot of his rule and stuff, right? Verse 44, but then the news from the east and the north will alarm him. Uh, he will set out in great anger to destroy and obliterate many. He will stop between the glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents. But while he is there, his time will suddenly run out and no one will help him, okay? So it seems as though that's hinting towards the Antichrist and his time coming to just an abrupt end, right? Rises to power. And really, I mean, his reign is pretty short, relatively speaking. I mean, he didn't even rule or reign for the whole seven years. He doesn't, okay? It's kind of quick rise and then, he, and then he's cut off. Verse 1 of chapter 12 goes into a little bit of this. The focus is kind of on the, the last three and a half years from what we understand of the, the tribulation. But verse 1, it says, at that time. So at this time of this end times kind of scenario, the seven years, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, Israel, will arise. So we, we see that Michael is, he is an archangel. He's you know, participating in spiritual battles that are happening in the heavenly realms. But he also is the guardian or will be for sure during these seven years, the guardian of Israel in the end times. He's got Israel's back. And there's going to be a lot of things happening concerning the nation of Israel attack wise. It's, it's, it's going to be fascinating that people will be coming against Israel, but will not prevail against Israel. Now it's going to get really bad for Israel. And in fact, the word's going to tell us that during these times, it, it's, they're going to experience the worst suffering that they ever have as a nation, which is saying a whole lot. Because I think today is like Holocaust Memorial Day, right? Like I saw some posts about that of like remembrance of the Holocaust and all that good stuff. That was a major, major event that actually, I don't know who these knuckleheads are that saying this thing didn't exist or didn't happen, but it happened. It happened. You don't believe, hey, go to DC, get a Holocaust Memorial Museum thing there. And I, I've never been to that one. I've been to the one in Israel three times, three times, walk through that thing. And you do not walk through that thing and come out with a dry eye. I mean, it was a major, major time of suffering. Millions of Jews slaughtered. They've had that repeatedly throughout history, though. But what's going to happen in those seven years? 
It's far worse than anything they've ever encountered. But Michael's got their back. The archangel. He's got their back. He'll be protecting them. It says in that verse, the, the last part of that verse, it says, then there will be a time of anguish greater than any, than any since the nation first came into existence. And that's that, that letting us know that this uh, time of great tribulation, uh, Matthew chapter 24 speaks to this, this time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah talks about that. It's going to be intense and it's going to be like nothing they've ever experienced before. Israel has a target on their back. And we've known that for, for years and years and years. Um, but the chief enemy, Satan himself, has been targeting Israel from the very beginning. The very beginning. As soon as Israel was made a nation, you just read through the Bible. Just read through the Bible. Do the daily, the one-year Bible. Read through the Bible each and every day. Take 15 minutes out of your day. I know you have it. Don't tell me you don't have it. I know you do, okay? Because if I got it, you got it. And I waste so much time during the day. I got 15 minutes to read the Bible. Read through the word and you will see going through the book of Genesis. As soon as that nation was established, man, Satan had his eyes on them to destroy them. As soon as the promise was made in Genesis chapter three, Satan's eyes was, was constantly looking for like, who is this line? Who's, what line is going to usher in the Messiah? And he was watching, scheming, then Abraham is established. Then Abraham gets a son, not Ishmael. That's not the right son. He gets another son, the promised child, this, the chosen one. And Satan has his eyes on him. And that guy has 12 sons. And then Satan's eyes are on. And Satan has always been attacking and looking to destroy Israel from the very beginning. From the very beginning. And what an amazing what an amazing group of people. Amazing. To think of all the things that they've gone through. Pretty much kicked out of their land. I mean, my goodness, they were, you have this Babylonian deportation, right, that took place. That would have ended every other country if this happened to them. But it didn't to the Jews. And they've experienced things like this all throughout their history. But what do they do? They come back. Most other nations, most other ethnic groups have and just become assimilated into other groups and they no longer exist. But the Jews have continued on and they've kept fighting. I love the nation of Israel. I love the Jewish people. Amazing, amazing story. Amazing history. And we would be wise to be praying for them and to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem like we're told in the word, be praying for them, pray for them, actively pray for them. If, anytime you hear the, you know, the name Jerusalem mentioned or Israel mentioned or Jews mentioned, it should trigger something in your head and within your heart to say, you know what, Lord, I pray for your chosen people because they're still his chosen people. He's not done with Israel. That's another weird thing that I don't understand that people are like, no, God's done with Israel, but now he's, it's the church. He's all about the church and the church is the fulfillment of all this. He's not done with Israel. Read the Bible. I mean, read the book of Romans. He's not done with Israel. He still has a plan. And in the end times, the last days, and here's what we believe, we hold fast to, and we can, this is kind of an open-handed issue, all right? This is one of those one theological things. We keep it open-handed for a reason. 
the rapture. Do we believe there is a rapture? Yes. That's like this. Yes. We believe, as in I, um, and what we just stated in our statement of beliefs, is there's a pre-trib rapture. That's what I believe. That's what I hold fast to. Okay? Again, I could be wrong on that. Not too concerned about it. Because I'm going to be with Jesus. So I don't really care when it happens. I'm good, but I want it to be pre-trib. Like, I don't want to, all that stuff can happen. The world can fall apart without me being here. And I'd be totally cool with that. Like, I'd be all right with that. So I, we hold fast to a pre-trib rapture, meaning the church is raptured up and then Satan is let loose to seven years, you know, to go nuts, right? That's what we hold fast to. But it's like the church is removed and, and then, man, and then this crazy thing happens. And we saw this in the book of Revelation is you have 144,000 Jews, Jews, not Jehovah's Witnesses, Jews who get saved and they become 144,000 evangelists and the greatest revival breaks out in the most difficult times. And it's all during this time period. It's all during this time period. But it's going to be a time of anguish greater than any since the nations first came to existence. He, He goes on to say, but at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book, not all Jews, not all Jews, the ones whose name is written in the book will be rescued, will be rescued. There's another doctrine that states that, well, if you're of Jewish blood, Jewish descent, you're good. You, I mean, you're just, you're good. You don't, you don't really have to surrender your life to Jesus at all because you're of the seed of Abraham. So you just automatically get to go to heaven. And the Bible does not agree with that doctrine. It doesn't. Because there's one way, and his name is Jesus. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me, but through me. And that's a surrender to Jesus as a Lord and Savior. And it's the same thing. We talk about this in America all the time, especially within the Bible Belt, because we face this all the time. People think they're good because mom and dad were Christians. So I'm good, right? I'm under their covering. No, you're not. You stand on your own two feet. And, and that's just how it is. When you go into the presence of the Lord, he isn't like, all right, get, get your family together. Grandpa, grandma, you started the church, whatever. Get your family together because we're going to make sure you all get in at the same time. That's not how it works. It's an individual basis. It's an individual thing. And it's the same for the nation of, of, of Israel. It's the same for the Jews. Jesus has to be Lord and Savior. He has to be. But the time of rescue, it happens. For those who surrender their lives to Jesus during this crazy, tumultuous time, the rescue happens. Here's what I love about this. This isn't just like one of those things where this will only happen at the end times. Jesus is in the business of rescuing his sons and daughters, his loved ones, his family. So if you find yourself going through a difficult time, can I encourage you with this little bitty promise that he knows how to show up and rescue you. And it may not be when you want him to, and the days might grow darker, but he knows how to rescue you. And if you think that he doesn't want to, then can I encourage you to spend a little bit more time at his feet? Hope 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Daniel. In it, you'll notice many interesting storylines through Daniel's life. He was exiled from his birthplace and was an alien in a foreign country for the rest of his life. What would it be like to live in a country that wasn't yours for all of your adult life? Would you wallow in self-pity because of your circumstances, or would you make the most of where God chose to use you? Daniel did the latter, making an impact in a wicked country that worshipped foreign gods. But God still used him in a mighty way. God can do the same with you today as you live your life in a country and world that you might not belong in. You may feel outnumbered and surrounded by idolatry of all sorts, but God can still use you greatly, even in this ministry. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we'd be honored if you'd pray with us for all of those who are a part of our listening audience. Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Would you also pray about partnering with us financially? All donations are appreciated no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. There's much more to learn and glean from the Old Testament book of Daniel, including prophecy and faith. We hope you'll tune in again for another edition with Pastor James, as he has more to share about the life of Daniel here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.